I'm just so excited to, to, to see how God is moving and to see how God is working. And it's a constant reminder, we're going to talk about this in the Word today, that this faith in Jesus Christ isn't about a religion, it isn't about an institution, it isn't about a particular thing, it's about this following after the God who is saving us, the God who has saved us, and the God who will save us. Thanks, Dan. Are you saying sit down? Oh, thanks. <laughs> and so, but it's this pursuit, and I, I hope that we have, we're mindful, we're going to get into the, you know, the series we're in in First John today, but I hope you're mindful that it's not about a stale, stagnant, waiting, setting. It's about this journeying with God. There are seasons of waiting, yes, but you're waiting with God. But this, in Jesus, we have a God who is moving among us. And we're talking about that today, so I, I'm just so excited about that fact, and I hope we never forget, I hope I never forget that um, in my own walk. It's so easy to do that. So I do want to do one other thing as we're getting in, uh, into the Word before we open the Word today. You know, this weekend is, a, we call it a holiday weekend, right? And families go camping and they do these things, and I know some of you kind of ch- chose your wardrobe today carefully. But um, I, I want to remember as we, as we get into the Word this morning, Memorial Day and what it's really about, you know. And I can tell you for a long time as a kid, I had no idea what it was really about. You know, I thought it was about an extra day or the pool's open, you know, summer starts. I mean, whatever it is in your head. But I want us to be mindful um, that what we celebrate tomorrow is those who have given their lives for us. And wherever you are, you, if you are a uh, United States citizen, if you are a... Uh, living in this country, born here, or you've come in in some way, there are men and women out there who are signing papers and going into situations uh, to die so that we can be who we are in our country. And uh, I do hope that we have some realization of that. And Memorial Day is actually for those who have done it, not for those who theoretically say, yeah, I might do it someday, but for those who have actually gone and given their lives uh, for the country that we live in. And so uh, I want to ask right now, because um, I think it's just one of those things that if you've lost someone, if, if there's been someone in your family who's made that uh, sacrifice, um, I'm going to ask that we would just take a moment and uh, bring them to mind together. So let's do that. Father God, we remember uh, today all those who uh, are serving on our behalf and uh, for all the things that are right and all the things that are wrong in our country, Lord, we have uh, brothers and sisters who put on a uniform and who stand in a gap uh, that we can just do things like barbecues and long weekends and camping and and all those things. And so today, Lord, I I pray that you would uh, bring a special comfort to uh, our soldiers who are out uh, fighting today and who are serving our country. I pray that you would bring a special comfort to families who have lost people to to, um, military action of any kind. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, also just be there in those times of loss, in those times of hurt, in those times of confusion, to show uh, every heart that there's a God who loves them so much that he knows exactly what it takes. And so I thank you for that. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So w- w- this is a, a weird thing for you because we talk about Memorial Day and we do talk about you know those who have paid the ultimate price. But what's striking to me about this, this thought of what it takes um, to do that for someone else, it, it goes beyond 
we say the ultimate price, right? And um, it goes beyond just the prospect of, of death, um, even to a daily laying down of your life uh, in service to someone else. Every day, you, these folks would get up, and the military, the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Navy, and the Coast Guard um, would, would, every day, and the reserves and all those guys would get up and put on their boots and go do stuff. And that in itself is a laying down of their lives for us. Now, we can say, well, there's other benefits. You know, it's a steady job. There's a check. Uh, it's government housing. It's whatever. But, but they're doing it because we, the people, have asked them to do that for us. And the, the connection for me when I think about what this looks like, you know, because we talk about Jesus as the one who, who laid down his life for the whole world. That's the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said himself that um, um, perfect, what is it? Perfect love has no man in this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Better love has no man in this. I mean, that you would lay down your life for someone else, right? And it even goes on to say that Anyone would lay down their life for someone who's worthy, but who would lay down their life for someone who's unworthy? Who would give their life for someone who is not worthy? And that's what we see in Jesus Christ. And I've often thought, as a follower of Jesus, as one who is being discipled by the King, who's being reformed and transformed by Him, what does it take to make a disciple? I don't know if you've thought about it, you know. And even, Tim, in your situation, you just share with us. I mean, what does it take to make a disciple? How much effort is there? How much is happening? And, and I want to say, we know that Jesus did this perfectly on the cross and continues to do it. I also know that the way he works, and what we're going to talk about today in 1 John, is he works through his people to do this work. And so I don't know in your own life where you've seen that. I don't know how you came to faith in Jesus, but... I'm sure it wasn't completely in a vacuum. I'm sure there was someone along the way that made decisions in their life to realign their priorities, to refocus their strength, to refocus their purpose, to refocus everything that they have, to turn it back towards this Jesus Christ who is saving them to bring glory you into that process. I don't know if that's you, that's me. And I'm always humbled and uh, inspired by this type of servanthood. It doesn't always come in like a one big hurrah. It, it, it comes in these daily things. I'm not talking about me, so don't mishear this. I'm talking about people who've done it for me, people who have gone that extra. And you go, what inspires a person to give up everything to love someone who's as unlovable as I am? What motivates them? And one of the fundamental questions I have and I ask repeatedly is how much did it cost to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ? The only answer I can get and it comes from time to time is a lot. It cost a lot and I didn't pay it. And so this all is going to tie in here where we're at in, in the Word this week. But last week we talked about how we are called, it says, if any of you has material possessions and sees a brother in need, another person in need, you are to, to um, have pity. And it doesn't mean like, but to give, to do something, to act. And we talked about that last week. And on the heels of this very hard teaching, and I would say, I don't know for you, but it's a very hard teaching for me, um, not only because I'm selfish, but just because I'm self-involved. 
to, to, to see and to believe that I've been given the ability to interact and to make a difference and impact for the kingdom of God on God's behalf. And so what we're going to find today in, in 1 John, starting at the very end of chapter 3, is how we do this and how we know we have this kind of impact and this kind of power, right? And um, so I'm going to invite you, uh, we're going to turn the word a minute, I'm going to invite you for a moment with me to pray to the God who loves us. Father, this morning we are just caught up in your glory and your presence. We are so aware of your spirit's indwelling. We are so humbled by what it cost you to love us into your kingdom. And today, Lord, we pray that, that somehow by your grace and mercy you would open our minds to your truth, open our eyes and ears to your word, that we wouldn't just be another day at church, but we would know you more fully. We would know how much you love us more deeply, and we would live it out in the coming weeks and months and years for your glory. Open this to us today we thank you and praise you for the great gifts that you've given and the great God that you are. Amen. So we're going to turn today to 1 John chapter uh, 4, actually. Uh, we're going to back up one, but it's going to be on page 845. If you didn't bring your own Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. If you need a Bible, talk to me. We can get you one. They're awesome. You should have it. You should read it. You should live it. That's what we're trying to do. And so, but if you didn't bring one this morning, grab one of ours and you can check out page 845. And we're going to spend just a second talking about the very last thought of chapter 3. And then we're going to jump into chapter 4, right? So um, that's how we're going to kind of do this this morning. And you'll see the last thing we talked about in 23 of 3 is this. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's going to be a big thing today. And to love one another as he commanded us, right? And then here we go in, in verse 24. So how do, we, how do we know that we do these things? And this is what the word says. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. Those who obey his commands live in him, right? In Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit that God gave to us. And so in this one little sentence, I want to unpack it a little bit because I was really amazed by what it's saying here that when we obey Jesus, right, our obedience is proof of our living in him. This whole book of 1 John is not about us achieving anything for our own purposes. It's a way that we can see if we are living in step with the God who is living, who is with us, who is present. And the reason that the word is so convicting is because there's areas of our life that we're not living in lockstep with the God who loves us. And so I want to be clear that when we say being obedient, you know you're in Jesus, it doesn't mean if you can obey, then you found the place where Jesus is. Does that make sense? Rather, what we're saying, what the word is saying is that if you find yourself in obedience, it means that Christ is living in you and you are living in Christ. And the obedience is a result of his presence in your life. And it's a fine difference, but it's important 
Because one way we end up doing our best to please the God who has already said, there's no way you can please me, and I mean it so sincerely, I'm going to come and die for your sins. The other way is that we receive that gift of life in him, and we live in him and in his presence, and we're going to talk about today in his spirit living in us, and the obedience is a result of that life. And the areas of disobedience are areas that we should be paying attention to, not because it's condemning us, but because it's warning us that we are not living in Christ. The word here where it says, when you live in him, it means it's meno, you know, but it means remain. It means to dwell. It means to exist, to be in him. Does that make sense? Living in him, and then what the word actually says is, and then Jesus lives in him. It means there's this, this thing that's happening where you are dwelling together in the same house. You are living in one another. And in this place of living in lockstep, of, of, and here's the word. The big word we're going to have today is um, uh, pneuma, Right? Now, you guys might think, oh, you know, meno, pneuma, now we're on to the Greek, and we are. But listen, pneuma is an easy word to remember because, especially for guys, if we've got guys, right? You ever had a pneumatic dolly? You know, that's just a fancy, you know, get the pneumatic dolly, and, you know, your wife would be like, what's that? You know, my wife does. I'm like, it means it has air tires. <laughs> a pneumatic dolly means it has air tires. It could be a pneumatic lift. I mean, there's lots of things, but it means it's driven by air. You see what I'm saying? And so this living in lockstep with Jesus means that we're in his spirit. You know what I'm saying? His breath. Now I want to take one moment and point something out because what we're going to talk about today is the triune God, the, the one God, three persons that we worship in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe as, as followers of Jesus. This is what he said to us. I am sending my spirit, the counselor, to be with you, right? And this is the gift that we have in God. And it's our very air that we breathe. We live and dwell and have everything in him, in Jesus on the cross, in God, in creation, and in the Holy Spirit breathing life into dead bones. That's our existence in Jesus Christ. It's all of it. And in the word of God, every time you, you see, and we'll talk maybe a minute, but you'll see the word spirit It'll often be Holy Spirit, right? And what the word actually says there is pneuma hagios, and it only appears that way in those passages. It means it's the Spirit, the Holy One. <laughs> you know, and you go, well, yeah, it's the Spirit. No, no, no. There's spirits mentioned all over in the Bible, but this is the Holy Spirit. You'll look in John with me today, First John. This isn't going to say the Holy Spirit, but what it's going to say is pneuma theos. It's going to say the spirit belonging to God, which is Yahweh, which is Jesus, which is our Savior, which is our breath and life and being and existence and everything that we have. And this, what we come to say, the Trinity is the reality of who God is. Holy, completely, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, encompassing, and holy, H-O-L-Y. So we're going to talk about those things today and this spirit because we just heard about obedience and love. And if you're like me, you know how hard that is to do that. But here we're going to talk about this spirit for whom he gave. Now, actually, that's what it says. It says, we know that Christ Jesus is living in us by the spirit whom for 
us, he gave. That's the way the word says it. I know it's crazy, right? It makes, you know, what? The spirit whom, the person of the spirit whom he gave for you and I. So the last act of Jesus on our behalf was not him dying on the cross. It wasn't even him being raised from the dead. It wasn't even him being ascended into heaven, but it was him breathing his Holy Spirit on us. You know what last Sunday was? Pentecost, that's right. You know what Pentecost is? It's the end of Easter. Easter lasted since when we had the bunnies and the eggs and all that stuff up to last Sunday. 50 days, Pentecost. 49 days, Pentecost. Seven times seven, Pentecost. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's a celebration. And it's this time that, that we know that after the resurrection and ascension to heaven, God breathed his Holy Spirit on us. And this is going to be a powerful reality in your life. It's going to be a powerful thing for you. It's going to be a powerful uh, relationship in your life. This Holy Spirit that God has breathed on us, the Spirit of God. And I, I want to point out one other thing here. This spirit that God has in us, this is all in that one verse. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them, right? That's those who are being obedient. And this is how we know that he lives in us, by the spirit he gave us. And so the spirit that we have in Christ, this breath that God has given us, is a spirit of obedience. It's a spirit of obedience to the God who made you. And that's a pretty short accountability list for you and me. You know what I mean? I mean, the, 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 the Jesus who is saving us breathed into me the obligation and ability and responsibility to be obedient to him is in the spirit of God. And so we live in that place, trusting him and being obedient through his spirit. We're going to find out later on, it's also the spirit of truth, which is completely different than anything else that we'll see. And so here's, here's the... Um, Here's a little hook for you. We live in a time right now where everyone can be spiritual, right? I mean, we'll say it. Like, it's not just me who says, don't be religious, be spiritual, you know? I mean, everybody's saying it. Have you watched the news or seen programs or Dr. Phil or anybody? Oh, be spiritual. Let's all be spiritual. We all have spirits, right? And this just kind of, I don't know, coffee talk or what we got going on right now, right? It's just this stuff, this banter, you know? And when we try to talk to people about the things of God, the things of eternal truth, one of the questions we'll ask is, well, do you even believe in spirituality? Do you even believe people have spirits? You know? Everyone seems to be talking about it. But what John is going to tell us today is, is everyone spiritual? And John's going to say, yes and no. Right? That's what we're going to see in, in, in uh, chapter 4. So press on with me, if you would, in chapter 4. So that's all the setup, that in this spirit we have obedience, the very breath of God, the very breathing of God in our lives, and then the spirit of truth. It's the same thing that we have in Christ. Read with me. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe, by the way, that's beloved, <laughs> beloved, remember? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even already now in the world. And I want to stop right there for a moment, right? 
And so we have John telling us now in his word, and this is a word written to those who believe in Jesus for salvation already. He says, is everyone spiritual? Sure, everyone's spiritual. But then the very next thing he says is, but don't believe, beloved, every spirit, every wind that comes your way. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we have this mechanism now, this, this ability, this um, encouragement to actually uh, test the spirits, right? And, and the reason that we have this is because there are many, what would you say, change movements, uh, organizations, inspirations, uh, things that would love to compete for your faith. There are a whole bunch of opportunities that the world gives us to just ease up on the Jesus stuff. Just give me a minute on that. But let's believe in something we can all believe in. <laughs> let's go somewhere else. And so the reality is we live in a time, there's no different than the time of the Bible is written, and it'll be no different until the time that Jesus returns. This will be our existence, that there will be times and opportunities for us to just lay it down for another faith to give it up for a faith in something less than the God who loves us. And, and so that's what he says. He says, examine every spirit. Now, I don't know if you're like me and you had test anxiety when you were a kid, you know, but whenever I would go into a room and, and I would sit and I would be in that whole, you know, I walked in the back hall this morning and there were all these desks lined up because they're cleaning the floors and it just brought back all the memories of sitting in the terrifying testing area where you can't speak and you can't look at people and you're looking at your paper and you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of anxiety around this. And so when I think of the word testing, I kind of get nervous about it. You know, like I'm being tested. But what the word says today is that basically it's flipping the whole equation around. And instead of you being the one in the hot seat trying to get the right answer on the test and make sure you mark the right spot and you color in the circle, instead of you having all that anxiety and someone going, hey, hey, eyes on your paper, it's the spirits that are approaching you and you're in the front of the room. And, and God says you're administering the test. So I want you to see that in your minds. That it's this whole classroom, this whole area full of chairs and desks and papers and pencils and erasers. And there's all these spirits before you. And what we have the ability to do in Christ Jesus is to test them, to examine them is what it actually means, to consider them before we receive them. Do not believe every spirit, is what he says. But see whether they're from God. It, doesn't, it just means to test, test them to see if they come out of God. Examine them. And then there's an implied, and then you believe. Then you believe. So a couple things that I want to talk through here. Why should we test them? This is right from the word this morning, right? Why should we test the spirits, Right? Uh, he says, don't believe all of them, but examine them, right? And so the question is, why? Why should we test them? You know, because we live in a time, and hey, it seems like a good idea. I should just do that. It'll be okay. Everybody likes it. Nobody's against it. You know, what's the harm? The first is this, that he says, test the spirits, because this is how that you know if it is coming out of God. 
See, all the stuff that we're talking about in 1 John is completely rooted in a, fu- in a fundamental relationship with the God who made you and who is saving you. And so therefore, the first question that you have to ask is, is this from God or not? In any encounter you have, you have to wonder, is this an encounter of the living God, because it may be, or a false prophet? And this is something that we're called to do and we're equipped to do through the Spirit of God. So that's the first thing is, the question that we ask is, is this coming literally, directly, and straight from God? And if it's not, we should not believe that. As good as it sounds, if it's not from God, you should step back. And it won't always be obvious, which we'll talk about in a minute. And the second reason why we should test is because what the word says next is there are many false prophets. There are many people who would run around and would, would uh, and this word here is pseudos, right? The word false here, it's, it's pseudo. It means like to, to kind of be like, but not really. To pretend to be, but not really. And the prophetes here is actually one who would interpret the will of God for you. And so what you have is these false interpreters running around and saying, I know what God wants for you. I know what God wants for you. And I'm sorry, my friends, but if you don't, if you don't know that that's coming directly from God himself, it's a very dangerous thing because you can go completely down the wrong path. The good news is that we're not on our own. What does it say? He has given us the spirit, right? He has given us his spirit, breathed on us by our Savior Jesus. And we can know then if they're false prophets and we can know then if it's coming from God. Now, I would like to say to you, we're going we're gonna to tell you later how this works. We're going we're gonna to have a special seminar where we're going to say, you can know for sure. I'll tell you how you know for sure. You rely on your relationship with Jesus to tell you. In the middle of an encounter, you know, the tragic thing I see in so many lives today is we make decisions completely ignoring God. And then we turn and look and we go, this is a mess. And God goes, I know. That wasn't me. We should be bringing these things to the God who loves us and he is the master of the classroom and he is the instructor and he will show us whether it's pseudo-prophetes or it's prophetes. It's God inspiring inspiring it and breathing it into you. So we have these, these opportunities then to, to test the spirits. And I really hope that you really see that today, that you should put up a grid and you should hold it up and you should see if it lines up because the word is pretty clear about what it looks like. Now, the next thing we move to, so that's why we test it, right? This is how we test it. And the first thing that John says is this. I'm going to read on with me, if you would. This is how you can recognize the spirit. Here it is, pneumos ho theos, the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from out of God. And then he does the double thing again that John does. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God, right? And so we have a couple of things here. And the first is this. The spirit must confess Jesus Christ. Must confess Jesus Christ. And, and I want to take just a second to unpack this because I know some of you have heard me say this before, but I think we can't say it enough, that, that Christ isn't Jesus' last name, you know? And H isn't his middle name either, you know what I'm saying? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, the gate. Jesus, the shepherd. And in this word, Christos, we have the greatest love that God has ever showed to man. And we blend it in like it's just a name, Jesus Christ. You must, the Spirit must confess, agree that Jesus is Messiah, that he is Lord, that he is the way. And if it doesn't, what the word says is, it's not from God. There are plenty of spirits among us who would say, this isn't competing with Jesus being Messiah. <laughs> this, this is a whole different thing. This is something we're just asking you to think about on the side. You can have your religion. It's okay. Listen, if they aren't saying that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed, the holy one sent by God, it's not coming from God. And as people who believe in Jesus, as the Gospel of John said, I wrote this Gospel so that you might believe. If you're believing in him, then this is something that we should be holding up as a standard for our obedience to the Spirit. Is the Spirit confessing Jesus the Christ? But you know what else the Word goes on to say? Look at what it says. This is how you can recognize, you can identify, you can know, you can discern the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, right? Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. And, and I'll, I'll just take a second here and to say this, that there are plenty of people that will say part of this truth. There are, there are plenty of people that will say, oh, yeah, I agree that Jesus existed. So they got Jesus in the flesh. There are some people who will say, yeah, I confess that there's a Messiah, but I don't know if it was Jesus, and I don't know if it was that Jesus from Nazareth, and I'm not sure if that was the redemption work of God, and, 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 and they don't believe the rest of this. There were even people as early as a couple hundred years after Christ who would say, yes, we believe in Jesus, the Messiah, but he wasn't a man. He was just spirit. It was some kind of trickery that God pulled. But what we believe in Jesus is that he came in the flesh, that he was born of Mary, that he was a lineage of David, and that in this role as God and man, he could redeem us through his blood. That's what we believe as Christians. And so these three parts is what we hold up as the grid from we discerning the spirits are from God or not. They must confess Jesus as Messiah and coming in the flesh. Now you might think, well, who doesn't agree that Jesus came in the flesh? I can tell you this week, I talked to somebody who doesn't believe that. They don't even believe historically that a guy named Jesus from Nazareth existed. And when I pressed them, it's like they're right to not believe it. I just don't believe you're really here right now. That's kind of what they're saying, you know? And I'm like, really? There's a lot of historical evidence. No, no, I just don't believe that. All these things are required for the Spirit to be coming from God. And, and it's not just a good idea. It's not like, well, these are ones you really listen to, but the rest of them you don't. What the Word goes on to say is this. Every spirit, the Word is pneuma, right, that does not acknowledge Jesus in this way 
is not coming from God. And it's a double negative in the word. So here's the trouble. If anything else that's out there is proclaiming truth and wisdom and insight and stuff like that doesn't end up on this same page, it's not of God. That's the word of God revealed to us today. That's what the word of God is sharing today. And so these spirits will not confess Jesus as Christ. And even more, and this is a word that, again, we talked about a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it up again because it's in the word, right? This, he goes on to say, is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. These letters, like 1 John, are some of the earliest writings that we have in the church of Jesus Christ. And at this time, when he writes it, he means it right there in the moment that there are already these spirits in the world living and dwelling among you, seeking your, your faith and your belief in something besides the God who's loved you enough to die on a cross. The word antichrist is just true by definition. If it's not Christ, it's antichrist. And that's just as simple as it gets. And so you can't see, well, I'm sort of on mission with this. No, it's Christ or it's not and that's what the word says today. By definition, this spirit is not the spirit of Theos, but the spirit of Antichristos, the spirit of the one who would say the Messiah is not, even though he is. And so what does all this mean, right? So what's the, what's the deal, you know? I mean, so we have this uh, obligation to give material to brothers and sisters in need, uh, to others in need is actually what the word says. We have this, this um, ability that God has given us to do it, to respond in some way. And now we have this spirit that we can hold up and we can test other spirits by. We have this gift of God to use in our life. If you or I were to live in this reality of the text today, if you were and I to, to adopt this and believe on the word, what it's saying today, our lives would be transformed. Now, that's what he's going to go on to say in 1 John later. That if you apply these things, your life will be transformed. Here's the good news. And look at in verse 4. We're going to kind of wrap up right here. It says, you, dear children, that means like little children, right, are from God. You yourself, as believing in Jesus, have come out of God, and you have overcome them. Who have you overcome? You have overcome the spirits of falsehood, the spirits of lies, the spirits of error in your life. Because of the reality of Jesus in you, you already have, had, have overcome them. And I want to point out that this isn't like, well, we're hoping. You know, John's not saying, well, we hope for the best here. He's saying that factually, perfectly, and present all the time, perfectly, you have overcome the spirits that are around you. Because greater, and you all know this verse, greater is the one in you than the one who is in the world, Right? And so in Jesus, our Savior, we have conqueror, we have discerner, we have truth, we have light, we have love, and everything else. And this is, what, this is where I want to point something out to you. So we have this and we're existing. But look at what he goes on to say in, in, in verse 5. He says, they are from the world, and therefore they speak the viewpoints of the world, and the world listens. And so you and I should not be surprised when there are other things that seem to be succeeding and, and, and they're out and they seem like great and you're like, man, that looks really cool and stuff. And I just hope that you and I will take seriously our ability to pray and discern if it's of God or not. Because the world will have its success by listening to itself. But then he goes on to say, but we are from God 
And whoever knows God listens to us. And I don't mean us right here at Family Bible, you know. I'm saying you should discern in your spirit if this is real. You should discern today if it's real or not, right? Because that's the gift that we have. But whoever knows God listens to believers is what John is saying. But whoever does not know God does not listen to them or to us is what he says, right? This is how we recognize the spirit. Here it is, the pneuma of truth and the pneuma of falsehood. I'll tell you another word for that right there. It means the falsehood means error and it means wandering. It means a spirit that seems like, yep, that's it. And then, and then you get out and you're just kind of lost in it. That's not the spirit that God has given us. That's not the spirit that Jesus breathes on us. And so the good news that we have in, 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 the, uh, in the text today is that you as a believer are coming out of God yourself and you have in fact overcome the world because of Jesus living in you. And then, and then the last thing is this. You don't have to worry about the world and what's happening out there. Because God is doing his work in and through you in his time and for his purpose. And we can trust him with that and follow him. And like we talked about earlier, be sincere. Follow him forward in your life, whatever that looks like. And the good news for those who don't yet believe. I still wonder what it takes to make a disciple of Jesus. You know, I still wonder, church, what it would take to, to, to walk with someone through not believing to believing to discipling to, to going on and, and discipling someone else. I, I always, I, I think about that because I've been through it. The truth is that for those who have yet to believe, and you may be here today, God is loving you through every step of the process and he has paid a price that's so, so severe that he will see the work through in you. And so the good news for you is that if you don't yet believe, you will. Because Jesus died for you too. You know, the crazy thing about Jesus is that he died for you whether you want it or not. You know what I mean? The offer stands all the time. And uh, I'm not sure where you are today, but I know for, for years and years, I sat there and I said, eh, it's not for me, not today. Maybe it's not. But I want you to know the offer stands every day. Not Sundays, not church days, not holy days, every day. That Jesus died for you. That's the good news to the world. So... I'm going to invite you today that if you feel compelled to respond, I'm going to invite you right now to respond and to just believe in the name of Jesus and to receive that into your life. And if you are already believing, as the Gospel of John says, if you've already, uh, you know, seen his miracles and know him and, and, and responded, I want you to pray with me about what this discipleship looks like and what it takes to make a disciple how you can be part of God's work in the world. Because I can tell you that's how it happened to me as someone went over the, uh, over, you know, the edge. They went beyond reason. They went beyond expectation to reach out and offer hope to me. And God did it through them. So I want us to pray about those things. If you would, pray with me today.
Father, this morning we thank you so much for your, your pneuma, your breath of life, the very air that we live in today. And I pray, Lord, that as we go out and we have, you know, our long weekend and the great opportunities we have to be out and just enjoying everything that you've done and who you are, I pray that when we breathe that, we know it's you loving us. I pray, Lord, that for those hearts today who've come maybe hardened, maybe come with junk and, and can't let go of it, I pray today that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, work powerfully to release those things. Lord, I know what it's like to be your child in bondage. And I pray today that you would set captives free. Do your will and have your way today in hearts and minds. And Lord, today, if, if we don't yet know you as Savior, I, play, I pray we receive you pray we would accept you and believe on you. And Father, for those who have made that, maybe we haven't been walking. And so today, Lord, we pray that you would, you would you know, convict us where we're falling short and keep us on the path because we know it's the path of love and not destruction. We know it's the path of obedience and not wandering. And so today, Lord, I pray for a renewed spirit of followership that we would be after you, that we would be loving you by following your son, Jesus. And so today, I pray for that work to happen in your spirit as well. May your name be glorified. That's why we come. May our dress rehearsal today for eternal glory be a blessing to you. We love you and thank you for who you are and for what you're doing in our lives. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.